you have a Bible this morning, turn with me please to John chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 3, verse 16. Hear the word of God. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you love the world and that you gave your only son so that everyone who believes in the son would not perish but would have eternal life. We thank you that the son absorbed your wrath and displayed your love on the cross and that you raised him from the dead. And we thank you that the power that you display when you raised him from the dead, you displayed that power in our lives when you, by the Spirit, awakened our hearts to believe the gospel. And we responded to it by faith. So, Father, we ask this morning that the same Spirit that brought us near to faith in Christ would awaken our hearts this morning and remind us afresh of this rich promise. We pray that you would break in in this moment by the Spirit and help me to lift my voice and preach to your people. That you would protect me from the devil. Don't let me do anything to embarrass Jesus or to make you look weak. So God, help us to hear your word, to receive it by faith. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. As we all know, John 3.16 is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Personally, this verse played a key role in my conversion to Christ on April the 22nd, in 1996, in my small town in Eastern Kentucky, when I was 17 years old, a Christian friend and classmate, she died in a tragic car accident. And the night she died, some of my teammates and I heard that her church doors were open at her church. And we went to the church and the pastor was there and members from the church were there and they shared the gospel with us young people, and they helped us to cope with this tragedy of losing a friend who was 17 years old. On that cold evening in March, I remember a teammate of mine sat down beside of me in the pew of the Hyman First Baptist Church, and he opened up John 3:16 and he read it to me, and he said, Jarvis, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal 
life. He closed the Bible and he said, Jarvis, this is what life is all about. And a few weeks later, I turned from my sin. I gave my life to Jesus Christ and was baptized in waters of baptism, in part because of a tragedy, but also in part because of John 3, 16. However, as you know, this verse is not a standalone statement, is it? It begins with the conjunction for, which shows a relationship with what proceeds in verses one through 15. So let me summarize what proceeds. You know the story, John chapter three, verses one and two, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, approached Jesus at night, and he agreed that he and his contemporaries understood that Jesus was a teacher from God. But Jesus responded by saying, Unless you are born again, unless you are born from above, you are not going to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is confused, as perhaps we would be confused. In verse 4, he begins asking a question about entering into his mother's womb once a person is old. And then Jesus responds again in verse 5, and he says, Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and the Spirit which I take to be an allusion to Ezekiel 36 and 37. Unless one is regenerated, Nicodemus, unless one is converted, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. The conversation continues, and Jesus begins to help him understand that these are things that he should beware, be aware of because he is a teacher of the Jewish people. And he begins to allude and chapter 3, verse 14, to Numbers 21, verse 8. He talks about that text where Moses was commanded to lift up that serpent when the children of Israel were disobedient to the Lord and they were grumbling and he poured out fiery serpents of judgment upon them. And he promised that they looked upon the serpent that Moses made that he would give them life. And Jesus says in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up that serpent, the Son of Man, verse 14, must also be lifted up, verse 15, so that everyone who believes in him would have eternal life. Verse 16, four. Y'all still with me? Four. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Two truths this morning. First, God loves the world. Look at verse 16 again. For God so loved the world, or for God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only son. John tells us that God both loved the world and the way he loved the world. Namely, by giving his son to the world to die for the sin of the world. This seems correct because Jesus tells us in verse 15, the Son of Man must be lifted up just as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness. And then chapter 1, verse 29 says, Jesus came into the world to die as the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. John chapters 2 and 13 and elsewhere tell us that Jesus came to be glorified by the Father in the appointed hour by means of his crucifixion for our sins. He's dying on the cross to take away our sin. One of John's themes, in fact, is God's sacrificial Passover lamb is Jesus whom God sent into the world and who voluntarily came to the world to take upon himself the sins of the world so that the world would not suffer God's eschatological wrath. John 13 and elsewhere. John chapter 10, Jesus says he voluntarily gives up his life in death for his sheep. Now, I don't preach for amens, but that's a good place for an amen, all right? God loves the world. And his love for the world compelled him to send the Son and compelled the Son to come willingly so that the Son, by his death for our sins, would accomplish eternal life on our behalf, on behalf of those who believe. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Listen to this. God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He sent his son to die for us. The son came to die for us, not because inherently we had something good, although we are created in the image of God. And we all have dignity and worth and value. But what motivated the father to send the son to die for our sin was his love for the world. So God loves the world, brothers and sisters. But to whom or to what does the world refer? As many of you know, and as many interpreters have pointed out, John uses the term world in multiple ways in his gospel. Here, in agreement with Uncle John Calvin, I, he's not really my uncle. <laughs> I agree that the world refers to humanity. But more specifically, I think it refers to Jews and Gentiles. In other words, I think he means that, that God loves every tongue and tribe and people and nation. Two reasons why I think I'm right. In John chapter 12, after Jesus triumphantly enters Jerusalem, John tells us a large crowd was there because they heard about Jesus' miracles, one of which was he raised Lazarus from the dead. In John chapter 11. The Pharisees in Jerusalem became anxious about Jesus' large following, and they lament a complaint to one another. 
In John chapter 12, verse 19, they say, quote, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after Jesus, end quote. Then immediately thereafter this complaint, John records that some Greeks or some Gentiles who came to one of his disciples to speak with Jesus. And these Gentiles say, Jesus, or they say, sir, we wish to see Jesus in John chapter 12, verses 20 and 21. In this same chapter, in chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus explains that it's time for him to be glorified as he is lifted up on the cross to draw all people to himself. Second reason. Well, I think the world refers to some from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. The second reason comes from Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. To be fair, John does not use the term world here, but he lists multiple words that communicate that Jesus died to redeem the world. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, John says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. And watch this, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth forever. God loves, brothers and sisters, the world. And he shows his love for the world by sending his son. Second, everyone who believes in the son, everyone who wants the son will not perish, but will have eternal life. Verse 16 again. For God loved the world like this, that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. This verse is not just a verse about which we should debate. It's a, it's a promise, a great promise. I want you to hear this carefully. Everyone, and I do mean everyone, who wants the Son can have him by faith. Of course, again with Uncle Calvin, only the elect have eyes to see and taste and believe in the gift of the Son, but everybody who wants the Son can have him, and only those who want the Son will receive him by faith. I love the world to the point that he gave his Son to die on the cross for the sins of the world so that everyone who believes in, trusts in, the Son will receive eternal life and escape God's eschatological wrath. 
So we'll see in John chapter 3, read on your own in verses 17 and following, the first time the Son comes, He comes to save the world. And those who reject the Son are already under condemnation. The second time He comes, He's coming to bring about, yes, salvation for those of us who believe. But He's returning to bring about God's wrath. Recognize this. There's an eschatological wrath that is coming. There's a day of the Lord that is coming. When Jesus returns, the dead will be raised. The books will be opened. The eschatological scales will be weighed. And all of those who refuse to bow their knee to Jesus Christ will suffer the eternal wrath of God. And those who believe in the Son receive eternal life. The wrath of God is coming, folks. It is coming. It's what John means, I think, when he says the the Son guarantees that those who believe in him would not perish. What does it mean to perish? They're not going to inherit eschatological wrath. It is God's will that Jesus Christ will not destroy anyone who follows him. Amen? For all of those who believe. Let's talk about belief for a moment. To believe in the Son in John's Gospel is not simply intellectual acquiescence. The demons believe and they tremble. A good Torah observant Jew believed that there was one God. If you read the Gospel of John, there's a consistent theme about many Jews who were in unbelief. To believe in the Son refers at least to acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ, acknowledging that he's God in the flesh, that he's the Son of God who died for our sins and whom God raised from the dead. It means to abide in Christ to hear his words in Scripture and to obey them until we die. No, faith and obedience are not the same, but faith is manifested by means of obedience. If we have faith in the Son, we hear his word and we follow him until the end. Not perfectly, but faithfully. And if we have this belief in the Son, John says, we have, verse 16, eternal life. There's much we can say here about eternal life because it's a complex concept. Let me give you six very brief statements from John's Gospel. First, eternal life in John's Gospel is already here, but not yet fully realized. It refers to the current forgiveness of sins that we all have the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ. John 1, 29, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In John 5, Jesus says, if you believe in the Son, you have right now eternal life. Second, according to John chapter 3, verse 3 and verse 5, eternal life in John refers to regeneration the new birth, or spiritual resurrection from death to life. Third, 
Eternal life in John refers to entering into the kingdom of God, John 3, 3 and 5 again. Fourth, eternal life in John refers to a future bodily resurrection that those who believe in the Son will receive on the last day when Jesus returns from heaven to earth. John 5, John 11. Five, if I correctly understand John 7, 37 to 39 and John 20, 21 and 22, eternal life in John refers to the inbreaking in this present evil age of the future bodily resurrection in the lives of those who believe by the indwelling and transformational power of the Spirit. You have the Spirit, you have eternal life. John chapter 7, for example, verses 37 and following, Jesus says, whoever believes in him, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And now John's commentary. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Then in John chapter 20, verse 21, he says, the Gospel of John says that Jesus, after his resurrection, breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And six, and finally, six things about eternal life. Eternal life is knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. John chapter 17, verse 3. Y'all still with me? God gave the Son so that everyone who believes in the Son would receive eternal life. Four applications. One, brothers and sisters, it's really simple. God sent Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, to die for our sins, and God raised him from the dead to give eternal life to all who believe. So let's ask the Lord to help us be intentional to share this message of good news and love with the many tongues and tribes and people and nations in the communities where we live and work and worship and play. Second, Christians, God loves you and me. Maybe you're at the point in the semester where you don't feel the love of God as you flunk or as you're flunking Greek syntax or as you're flunking Hebrew syntax or as you're reading all the red ink on your papers. Perhaps the love of God seems distant. Maybe even if you're passing all of your classes and doing well, the love of God seems distant. John 3.16 gives us an important word from the Lord that although our circumstances change, our emotions change, our feelings change, the love of God has been manifested objectively 
in the crucifixion of the Son of God at Calvary as he absorbed the wrath of God for our sin. And even if we get cancer, even if we experience poverty, even if we, as my wife and I, lose two babies, the love of God breaks in that pain and sustains us with hope and joy and confidence for the future because it's rooted in the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. So if you don't feel the love of God today, brothers and sisters, ask the Spirit to help you taste it and experience it and feel it. It's okay to feel it in your bones. Third, because God loves the world, let's love one another. Let's love one another. Here's an example of loving one another, John 13. Jesus does something very awkward. He takes off his outer garment and he washes his disciples' feet. Look, I don't do feet. I don't do puke and I don't do feet. If I see puke, I'm walking around it. If I see feet, I'm going the opposite direction. So thankfully, that is an example, isn't it? John 13, if we ever have a foot washing at my church, I will conveniently be sick on that Sunday. The exhortation is not, I don't think, to wash literally one another's feet, because he says this is an example to serve one another. Here's another example, be willing to die for one another, to have love and joy and peace and patience toward one another, to build each other up, to use our gifts not to tear down each other, not to destroy each other, but to empower each other in good works and love and good deeds. Also, let's love our enemies. You know, the love of God is also, the, in Christ Jesus, is a model for us in how we respond to our enemies. As Jesus was hanging from the cross, here's love. Here's what I found. Well, here's what I found, Apple. Here's love. While he was reviled, he did not revile. When he was insulted, he did not insult. But he kept entrusting himself to God, who was able to judge rightly. Love your enemies. Here's one act of love you can do for those who hate you. Pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who insult you. Pray for those who slander you. Why? Because God loves you. And that love is transformative. And the love of God is an example. It's not just an example. Jesus is a substitutionary atonement, right? A penal substitutionary atonement. But he's also an example of how to love. And finally, number four, look, I'm Baptist enough to know this. There are some people here today who are not believers. Some people who will listen to this sermon who don't know Jesus. And the love of God has been manifested to you. 
in that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. And if you turn from your sin right now, if you're watching this and you're not a believer, you turn from your sin right now, you believe by faith that God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give you eternal life. He'll give you freedom. He'll give you joy. He'll give you liberation from slavery to sin and its power. And he'll give you the kingdom. So if you don't know Jesus, Give your life to him today because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, may we believe these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.